Well, good morning again to everybody. Uh, if you came in uh, after the, the greeting of the prayer time we had at the beginning of the service, I uh, welcome you here. If I don't know you, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and same for anybody that is joining us online. I do want to bring to your attention that if you do want to give, I know that we've uh, began to lift those uh, restrictions uh, regarding COVID, but um, we still have not uh, started to pass the plate yet. But if you want to give, you can give so you can do so online at homesavenue.com forward slash give or uh, via, <clears throat> excuse me, via uh, to the ushers on your way out this morning. Uh, but I want to uh, bring to your attention, if this is your first time here in a while or your first time here, period, uh, we have been journeying through the book of Leviticus uh, for several weeks, week after week, since the beginning of January. And uh, after today, we have two Sundays left, and then we have completed the book of Leviticus. And if you have been with us um, just within the last year, uh, we've now completed Philippians, James, 1 Peter, and uh, Leviticus, and uh, prior to that, uh, we even did um, the book of Nehemiah and the book of Ruth, and so um, that's, that's one of our convictions here, that we just want to preach verse by verse through Scripture, and I, I pray that you're enjoying that and getting the entire counsel of God's Word by doing that. Uh, to give you a heads up on where we're going, uh, when we finish this series in two weeks, uh, on the last Sunday, June 27th, uh, when we finish this at, on that Sunday, we will then move, beginning July 4th, into the book of Acts. And so what we, our, our model that we're trying to follow is we'll preach to an Old Testament book, then we'll preach to a New Testament to give you uh, both pictures from both Testaments of God's Word. And so we will start that on July 4th, and we will be camped out in the book of Acts for a long period of time, but... We're going to do it and break it down into many series uh, to give you an overall theme of the book of Acts, but to carry you through everything in smaller chunks based on what is happening in the book. So uh, it, it, I was just praying and I asked God where we were going, and we thought we were going to go to 1 Timothy. But as we have been going through the book of Leviticus and we've been seeing how God is holy and He calls His people to be holy, the Lord just made it abundantly clear You've heard these things, but now what does it mean for the church to live this out in action? And I don't, can't think of a better, better way of looking at that than seeing how the first church was ignited, the, the faith on fire because of the Holy Spirit and the moving forth. And so we will begin the book of Acts on July 4th, and we will be there up till Advent. We'll take a break for Advent, and then we'll pick back up in the new year and continue through that. Uh, but in today's passage, we are in the book of Leviticus chapter 25. And as you see there on the screen, it says the Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee. So we're going to be in the entirety of chapter 25 this morning. I know it's a lengthy passage, but I promise I will get you out of here in time for lunch. Everything will be fine. Um, but we will be in all of 25 today. And, and as we have been looking at these passages, there's been a few times where we see uh, the way in which uh, people are referred to in this context of slavery. And I just want to put this out there the same way that we've done in previous weeks where we've seen this. When we see this in an Old Testament passage referring to this as what God is saying today, it's referring to those who they went into slavery in their own willingness to pay off a debt. So it's, I don't want you to think through the lens of what we see uh, with our country's history of slavery, like I told you in a few weeks ago when we had another passage that was dealing with that. And I'll cover that more as we get to it. But we typically always stand to honor the reading of God's Word, but there is 55 verses today, and Pastor Brian can be long-winded, so we are going to dive right on in, and I'm going to go ahead and give you the first point after I pray, and then we will start to read the counsel of God's Word to us as we look at these points. But if you would, join me for a word of prayer as we ask the Lord to lead us. Father, we love you. 
We thank you for today again, Lord, and for the, the time of worship that we've had singing these songs to you. We thank you, Lord, that, that we can gather in the house of the Lord, and Lord, that we can cry out to you knowing, Lord, that there's always abundantly more from you. Thank you, Lord, for constantly providing your grace and mercy to us. You are so good to us, Lord. And, and in that, Lord, we ask now, Lord, as your word is proclaimed, Lord, that you would guide us. God, that you would speak. Lord, that you would take anything that I prepare that is not of you, that you don't want said. Lord, wipe it clean from my memory. Wipe it clean from my notes before me. And Lord, you speak and you have your way. We honor you. We bless you. In Christ's strong name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, to kind of give you a, an overview shot of what we're looking at today, God shows his grace to his people through redemption, and his people are to do the same to others. So if you're taking notes, I hope you are. The first point is this. God shows his grace in the Sabbath year. God shows his grace in the Sabbath year. Join with me as we look at Leviticus 25, beginning in verse 1. I'll cover 1 and 2 from the beginning. And the word of the Lord says, The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Here we are looking at this same thing that we see week after week. The Lord has spoke. You've heard me talk about that in detail. And so the Lord is speaking. The fact that that is just happening is powerful in and of itself. But then look there at verse 2. Did you catch the beauty of what God says there in verse 2? He tells Moses to tell the people that when they come into the land that I give you, when you come into the land that I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. You see, the beauty here is that the Lord has kept his promise. The Lord has kept his promise. If you remember from Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, it reads, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. You see, the beauty of this is that this land has been promised to the people. It's from that covenant that God made with Abraham, that he is leading them. He took them out of the bondage of slavery there in Egypt, and he is taking them to the promised land. He is taking them to Canaan. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing that God is given. And so this land that the Lord is providing, it is God's. You're going to hear me say that repeatedly today. It is God's, yet God is giving it to the people. So what does it mean that the land is to keep a Sabbath? Well, if you recall from a few weeks ago when we began chapter 23, I spent those just those first three verses talking about the Sabbath, mainly about a Sabbath day of rest. It was a Sabbath day set aside, putting all the work from the week aside after those six days. And there on that Sabbath day, it was a day of rest. It was a day of providing worship to God. Nothing else in the way. No distractions. The same was true for the land that God was giving to the people. Now look at 3 and 4. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. 
You see, they were allowed to do this. They were allowed to tend to the field for six years, doing all that was needed. And then there on the seventh year, they were to take a break. They were to rest. They were to do nothing of that year. Now imagine the weight of stress that may bring. Imagine that. You may be sitting here now and hearing that and say, wait a minute, if this is what I do, this is what I provide for my livelihood, and I have to take a break for a year from it, that brings stress. That brings some anxiety. Like, how am I going to be able to manage this over the course of this time? You, can you imagine that in your own job? Can you imagine that? Like, I, I'm going I'm to just trust that the Lord's going to provide over this next year. Like, that, that is a hard thing to, to put our mind around, but that is just it. The people had to trust God. They had to trust God. And you have to stop and think, well, of course, it would be a no-brainer that they would trust God. I mean, God redeemed them and took them out of Egypt. He provided the way for them. He saved them. Of course they would trust them. But then we see accounts in Exodus where Moses goes up on the mountain. The people are just tired of waiting, so they just make their own little golden calf and they want to worship it forgetting that God provided the way out for them. So it's this obvious reminder to us. We have to remember that God provides, that, that we must trust Him. It also shows that everything is under the Lordship of God. I said it a moment ago. God is sovereign. And because of that, we trust Him at His word. The people were to trust Him. So when the six years were up, they trust that the Lord has provided for them to make it through the Sabbath year without doing anything. The Sabbath of solemn rest, as we talked about a few weeks ago in regarding the Sabbath day. Both of them say a solemn rest. Do you see the Lord's way also of reflecting creation in this? It was pretty obvious to us when we see the Sabbath day, but we also see it here with the Sabbath year that the nation of Israel was to follow. God in six days creates the heavens and the earth, and on day seven, he rests. A beautiful example to the people were to take this time of rest. So on the Sabbath day, obviously, there you have it. But then we also see here this reflection of the creation account in what God is saying regarding the Sabbath year. Six years of work there on the seventh year, resting, relying on the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Verses five through seven. You shall not reap what grows on itself of itself in your harvest, or gather the grapes <coughs> excuse me, of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourselves and for your male and female slaves and for your hired worker and the sojourner who lives with you and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food. Here in these verses, we see what is mentioned a few minutes ago that God provides what? For his people. Not only his people, but the sojourner and the cattle as well. And yes, we saw there in that moment, and I'll continually point out just as a reminder to us, when we see the word there, for example, of slave, it's talking about those that willingly went into this to pay off a debt, to pay off a debt because maybe they didn't have their land any longer, and we'll talk about that in a few moments, or them themselves, they, they just didn't have the funds to be able to pay this off, so they were doing this. They willingly went into this to be a hired hand to work, to pay off the debt. 
But do you see this also for us today as Christ followers? The beauty that is in this, just like we said three weeks ago, our eternal rest comes through Christ Jesus and His finished work. That is what our eternal rest comes through. Through what Jesus has done. It is because of that that we, at the end of our journey in this life, we have the promise of eternal rest with Christ Jesus our Lord. That ought to bring joy to us even in the midst of the difficulty we face here in this life because he is what? You hear me say it week after week. He is with us always. He has promised to never leave us, to never forsake us. Just as these people, as we saw there in 5 through 7, just as those people were going to be provided via the harvest, via the things that God has provided over those six years to then four years seven, we as God's people must remember that he always provides for us. Now we might take that and say, well, where's the things that God's supposed to be providing for me? You see, sometimes we have a very skewed view of what we expect from God. We shouldn't expect anything from God. Well, let me, let me rephrase that. We should expect that God is with us always and he promises to never leave us or, or, nor forsake us. That's what we should expect because he has promised us that. But we should also expect that he is going to provide the means for us. Now, that doesn't mean that we just sit around and we don't do anything. We still have to work. We still have to do the things that God has called us to do. But he is with us always and he provides for us, even in difficult seasons. He is with us always and he provides for us at all times. So God shows his grace in the sabbatical year. But secondly, God, God shows his grace in the year of Jubilee. God shows his grace in the year of Jubilee. Look at verse 8. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of seven weeks you, of years you shall give you 49 years. Easy for me to read. Sorry about that. What is God saying here in verse 8? The year of Jubilee would be after this culmination of 49 years. So there in the 50th year, it's the year of Jubilee. Look at verse 9. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the 10th day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land. For the sake of time, I can't give you another explanation of what the day of atonement is I would encourage you to go back and listen if you weren't here to chapter 16. It's on the website. It's on the Facebook when Pastor Walter was talking about the Day of Atonement. But that is the big day where all of the sins are atoned for on that day of the year. And this is when this horn is blown, this trumpet. is called Jubilee because the Hebrew term there for Jubilee is ram or ram's horn. So you see the picture of it. This is a really funny, weird example, but it's just how the Lord does things with me. Last night, I'm sitting on the couch in the living room watching literally the original Star Wars trilogy with the family. Any Star Wars fans? All right, a couple. Thank you. Thank you for not leaving me. So that. Thank you, Adeline. My daughter raised her hand. So we're watching the original Star Wars trilogy, and at one point, you see this guy pick up the horn, and he sounds it. And I think it was episode five, uh, uh, I can't remember the title of it, Empire Strikes Back. And you see this horn blown, and I'm like, I just, like, when I've read this all week prayer, preparing for this, like, I imagine this horn, and I'm trying to picture it in my head, and then I see it happen there on the movie last night, and I'm like, that's a beautiful picture. Now when I hear this and read it, I'm like, all I can get in my, it, all that's in my head is the Star Wars movie now. But it's just this picture of this ram's horn, and it's being blown. This year of Jubilee has started. There on the Day of Atonement. Now, 
Look at verse 10. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. You see, there in that moment, the year of Jubilee, it provided liberty. It provided a chance for a reset. For the debt that people were trying to pay off through working as slaves, as hired hands, that was wiped clean. For the day of of this time of, 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 of being burdened about not being able to pay off things or do anything like that, that is wiped away. It is made clean. It is this year of Jubilee. Now, Mark Rooker in his commentary on Leviticus says this, thought it was so good. On this high holy day, referring to the Day of Atonement, when reconciliation with God was to become a national petition, the Israelites were likewise reminded to be properly restored to their brothers. Personal holiness must be carried out on the social plane on behalf of the disadvantaged. All Jews who for some reason or another have become enslaved to another Jew or were forced to sell personal property to someone in the preceding 49-year period were automatically emancipated and sold property was restored to its original owner. We have got to remember, like we've covered in the series previously, again, that idea there of the slavery, all of that wiped clean on this year of Jubilee, a day of celebration for the people. We know that God required the slaves to be set free during this time. And then also, if you want to refer to it, you can jot this down in your notes. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 12 through 18, they give an example of if a slave was working and they just enjoyed being there with family. Again, not being taken advantage of. They were there as a hired hand to pay off a debt, but if they wanted to stay, God allowed for them to do that if they wanted to. That was Deuteronomy 15, 12 through 18. The restoration of property is a big thing that we see here. It was given to the rightful owner to show something of greater significance. I said it earlier, the land of Canaan, where God was leading his people, was ultimately his just like everything else is his. God has created it. It is his. The restoring of the land also protected those who were weak and poor so that they couldn't be taken advantage of. Provided this time of jubilee, this time of liberty. Verse 11. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. In it shall neither sow nor reap, what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines. Just as they would do each sabbatical year. They're doing this here in the year of Jubilee. Verse 12, for it is a Jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field. Now what's very important for us to note, it's going to tag in with something I just told you a few moments ago. Most scholars believe that the year of Jubilee followed a Sabbath year which meant that, for example, a year 49 would have been a Sabbath year. Year 50, the year of Jubilee, would have been basically like another Sabbath year. You couldn't do the things that you were doing prior to the Sabbath. What does that mean? That means that there were two years straight of nothing being done to the fields. Two years straight of no work being done. The land laid fallow for two years straight. 
The mere fact that the land laid fallow for two straight years presented what? A test of faith for the people. To know that God was in control. To know that God would provide. God declares this to be holy to the people. They are to eat of the produce of the field, and God is declaring that it is holy. It shows just how serious this, serious this is before God. Now, let's look at 13 through 17 together. I'll comment along the way. In this year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his property. And if you make a sale to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. So don't take advantage of each other. 15. You shall pay your neighbor according to the number of years after the Jubilee. And he shall sell to you according to the number of years for the crops. 16. If the years are many, you shall increase the price. And if the years are few, you shall reduce the price. For it is a number of the crops that he is selling to you. You see, the sale of property, it had to be adjusted based on where they were in regard to the year of Jubilee. This would determine the amount that needed to be paid. So if it was closer, it would be less. If it was more, it would be a longer, higher period of time. So obviously a higher number of money. Verse 17, you shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. God makes it clear to his people, you will not wrong one another. But instead of doing that, you shall fear your God. I am the Lord your God. I'd referenced this last week. You've heard me reference it time and time again. But again, when we read that, it's not this, oh man, God, you're terrifying. I want nothing of you. I'm fleeing from you. And I said last week, just like Jonah, Jonah thought he could just run and get away from God. And I meant to say that earlier. We've also gone through the book of Jonah. Look at there. Uh, but just as Jonah thought that he could run and flee from God, we can never leave or run away from God. He is around us. He is with us always. He is omnipresent. And so we cannot think that, that, that just by doing something of somebody else, we want nothing to do with him. He is the Lord our God. So we must fear him. Not a scared fear, but a reverent fear for who he is. He is sovereign God over this world that put breath in our lungs. He knows the day when which we will take our last breath. This is God. Therefore, we have been called to walk in fearful reverence to Him. Same is true for the people of Israel as it is for us today. As Christ's followers, we are called to walk in fearful reverence to Him. Obedience to him as he calls us to do what he wants us to do. Verse 18, so covering all of that, therefore you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them and then you will dwell in the land securely. We see God make yet another promise here. God declares to his people that if they would keep his rules and his statutes and perform them, then they will dwell securely in the land. They will have nothing to worry about. What a promise. Now that is something for us to read and say, all right, so I need to take God at his word there. So if I just do this stuff, I'll be prosperous. No, 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 no. That is not what God is saying. God is not saying to do a work-based mentality just to appease God, make him happy so that you can get blessings. 
That is not what God is saying. What God is saying is, if you follow these things that I've called you to do because I'm holy, and I want you to walk in holiness as you surrender to me, as you walk in obedience to me, then I will bless you. I will take care of you. But it's not just a thing like God's a genie in a bottle and we just got to do our right stuff so we can rub that lamp and then ask for whatever we want. That's not how God operates. Verses 19 through 21 read, The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we may not sow or gather in our crop? I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. God promises there that he will take care of his people as I've said time and time again. Verse 22, when you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. Look at this. Here we see that the Lord will bless the obedience in unfathomable ways. Unfathomable ways. When the eighth year comes and they begin to sow, they're still going to be eating the old crop until the ninth year arrives. God's like, listen, uh, church, listen, nation of Israel, if you follow my commandments and trust me, I will supply more than you can ever imagine. It goes along with what I just said a minute ago. If we walk in obedience to God and we trust him, he will take care of us. He will provide for us. It may not be what we think of when we think, oh, I want this or this or this, but it'll be exactly what God wants for us because he knows us. He knows every hair on our head. He knows everything about us. He knows the desires of our heart, the wicked and the good. And he provides what is needed every single time. So not only that, does God show his grace in the sabbatical year or in the year of Jubilee, but number three, God shows his grace in the redemption of property. Now, for these next two points, we're going to see redemption, a theme of redemption take place. Here for property and then for people, actually, in the next few uh, sections that we'll see. But let's look at verse 23 quickly. The land shall be sold in, per <coughs> excuse me, in perpetuity, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. Here is something already addressed, but the land is God's and God's alone. Because it is God's, he's allowing his people to be what? Resident aliens and sojourners even. They were even allowed to live in God's land. It is God who rescued them and redeemed them from Egypt. It is God who has shown mercy, who has shown favor. It is God alone who has done this for his people and therefore he provides for them. 24 and then 25. In all the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of land. God is telling them every bit of land that you have, that you possess, you will allow a redemption of it. Why? Because it is God's. 25. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what the brother has sold. 
We see here, if it's a poor brother and the land, he can't have it, it needs to be redeemed, then someone in his family will go and redeem it on his behalf. We saw something very similar to this in the book of Ruth. Ruth and Naomi, her mother-in-law, Ruth goes out and she finds Boaz. Now, Boaz is not the immediate kinsman redeemer. There was someone that was closer that could redeem her. However, Boaz goes and makes a, a agreement, a covenantal agreement with that person, and Boaz becomes the kinsman redeemer and praise God for that because God in his sovereignty, in his powerful redemptive plan, what happened in that moment? The moment that they became together as one, it led two generations later, I believe it was exactly, to Christ Jesus. David would come down eventually in that line and then Christ Jesus. It was part of God's redemptive plan. Man, I could get started on that all in, all in itself. But God shows these offerings of how someone can come in to help redeem it. 26 through 28. If a man has no one to redeem it, and then himself becomes prosperous and finds sufficient means to redeem it. Let him calculate the year since he sold it and pay back the balance to the man whom he sold it and then return to his property. But if he does not have sufficient means to recover it, then what he sold shall remain in the hand of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. In the Jubilee it shall be released and he shall return his property. So God's giving the description of what needs to take place in order to redeem the land. If for some reason that cannot happen, then when the year of Jubilee happens, boom, liberty. It happens. The land is redeemed back to the person. Read with me 29 through 34 together. If a man sells a dwelling house in a walled city, he may redeem it within a year of its sale. For a full year he shall have the right of redemption. If it is not redeemed within a full year, then the house in its walled city shall belong in perpetuity to the buyer throughout his generations. It shall not be released in the Jubilee. So basically you have to follow that. If it's within the walls of a city, it has a year of redemption. But if it doesn't happen within that year, it stays with the person that has bought it and his descendants get to have it. 31. But the houses of, village, of the villages that have no walls around them shall be classified with the fields of the land. They, shall, they may be redeemed and shall be released in the, in the Jubilee. As for the cities of the Levites, the Levites may redeem at any time the houses in the cities they possess. And if one of the Levites exercises his right of redemption, then the house that was sold in the city they possess shall be released in the Jubilee. For the houses in the cities of the Levites are their possession among the people of Israel, but the fields of pasture land belonging to their cities may not be sold, for that is their possession forever. So we saw there in 29 and 30, the sellers got that one year, as I said. The houses in the villages without the walls, they could be redeemed. As we saw there in verse 32, the Levites, they were there and they were able to redeem at any time. And then as 34 points out, the pasture land was theirs forever. Remember, it's God's and he gives it to them. They would never lose that. I know we're trucking a ladder long, but just keep on going with me. 35. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. 
The Israelites were uh, to be generous and accommodating to a family member who had gone on hard times just as they would do the sojourners that were out and about. By doing so, it would prevent the family member from having to go into slavery. 36 and 37. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God. There we see it again. Fear your God that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. Whereas the Israelites would typically make loans available to the people, God's saying here, don't charge them that interest, don't do that, just continually provide and take care of him. Fear God. Look at 38. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give to you the land of Canaan, and to be your God. God again reminds them just who he is. God again reminds them of what he has done. That's a powerful verse. It's a powerful verse. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. So God shows his grace there in the redemption of property. Lastly, God shows his grace in the redemption of people. God shows his grace in the redemption of people. Read along with me, 39 through 41. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and a sojourner. He shall serve you, serve with you until the year of Jubilee. Then he shall go out from you, he and his children with him, and go back to his own clan and return to the possession of his fathers. What we see here in this last section is God's stance on the people, redeeming the people. The section is about this poor Israelite that could be sold to another individual, but only to be a hired workman until the year of Jubilee, especially if it's one of their people. Now, this person, as I said a few moments ago, this person would presumably be somebody that had already lost their land. So they had to themselves be the one to use, to be used to to say, hey, I'll come along and I'll help you. I'll do whatever, provide whatever is needed so that I can pay off this debt. But then God promises then again in the year of Jubilee that they will be redeemed, that the land will be redeemed. 42. For they are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. 43. You shall not rule over him ruthlessly, but shall fear your God. That's a powerful statement there that we just read in those two verses. You see, because for the people and the nation of Israel that were there during the Exodus account, prior to God pulling them out of Egypt, prior to God providing the way of exiting, they were there as slaves to be mistreated and harmed by the Egyptian rulers, by Pharaoh and his whole scheme. And yet God says there, hey, if you're going to do this for your brother to help him, and he will eventually be redeemed, do not treat him the way in which your people were treated in Egypt. I have brought you out of Egypt. I have redeemed you. I have provided the way. And God says there that they are his servants. And that is not in a, in a negative connotation. I am a servant of God. 
If you are a Christ follower, you are a servant of God. He is the ultimate master. He is the one we surrender our lives to. He is the one, prayerfully, this is your heart's desire. When he says move, you say, yes, Lord, to where? When he says do this, you say, Lord, how much? When he says, I have given you this, say, thank you, Lord. What do you want me to do with it? You have provided the means of taking care of me. Lord, you have redeemed my soul. What do you want with this life? Because it is yours. Take it. It is nothing of myself. That should be our heart's cry. 44 through 46. As for your male and female slaves, whom you have, you may buy male and female slaves from among the nations that are around you. You may also buy from among the strangers who sojourn with you and their clans that are with you, whom have been born in your land, and they may be your property. You may bequeath them to your sons after you inherit as a possession forever. You may make slaves of them, but over your brothers and the people of Israel you shall not rule over one, one over another ruthlessly. Now in this context, we have to understand something here. Again, this is not a malicious way of slavery as we read this. What God is saying is, yes, there are those that need to make these, these ways of paying off these debts. And so they willingly go into this. And God is saying, you can do this with other people, but you will not do this amongst yourself. You will not do this amongst my people. But again, it's not to be done so in a malicious way. 47 through 54. If a stranger or sojourner with you becomes rich and your brother beside him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner with you or to a member of the stranger's clan, then after he is sold, he may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him or his uncle or his cousin may redeem him or a close relative from his clan may redeem him or if he grows rich, he may redeem himself. Again, this is all pointing to that redeeming kinsman. If he shall calculate with his buyer from the year from which he sold himself to him until the year of Jubilee, then the price of his sale shall vary with the number of years. The time he was with the owner shall be rated as the time of the hired worker. If there are still many years left, he shall pay proportionately for his redemption some of his sale price. If there remain but a few years until the year of Jubilee, he shall calculate and pay for his redemption in pro proportion to his years of service. He shall treat him as a worker hired year by year. He shall not rule ruthlessly over him in your sight. And if he is not redeemed by these means, then he and his children with him shall be released in the year of Jubilee. We see God further ruling out this redemption of the poor man who was in slavery to pay off the debt. And God's giving the parameters by which it needs to be done. Now look at 55. For it is to me that the people of Israel are servants. They are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. The people of Israel are servants to God alone because he brought them out of the land of Egypt. He redeemed them. He decrees that he is the Lord. So what does that say for us today? What does that say for us? You've heard me say the word redeem a lot. We see this beautiful example of this redemption that God offers to the people. The redemption of the land in the year of Jubilee. 
The redemption of the persons who were working to pay off debt. God provides the means for them to be redeemed. And we read this in the Old Testament context through the book of Leviticus here in 2021. And we see the redemption that is offered to those that are there in the nation of Israel. But what does that say for the people of North Charleston, South Carolina, and the surrounding areas in 2021? It says that we can be redeemed. It says that we don't have to walk around under the yoke of slavery to sin any longer. We can be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We can be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you're here and you say, that's me, Brian, I've checked that off. I've been redeemed by Christ's precious blood that was poured out on Calvary's cross for me. I am saved. I am redeemed. Then my question is, who are you telling? Who are we telling? Who are we praying for? Who is around us that God has divinely placed around us in our street, on our cul-de-sacs, in our neighborhood, in our workplaces, in our families? Who has God placed around us that needs to be redeemed? Who is it? Are you praying for that person consistently? Are you asking God to intervene in a powerful way that makes their lives flip completely upside down to where they truly are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb because they meet Jesus and they surrender their life to Jesus and the Holy Spirit invades their life and transforms their heart because he indwells them. I swear I didn't take an energy drink this morning. I'm just excited. Who are we telling that needs to be redeemed? Who in this room, who listening online, needs to be redeemed? I am very blessed to be able to stand here and serve as a pastor to this congregation. And I know many of you very well, but I don't know your hearts. Only God does. I can see fruit. I can make good assumptions. But only God knows the heart. And my prayer for us is that week after week after week, we wouldn't just have people that sit in the pews just to do it because they want to make God happy. My prayer is that we week after week gather in this place because we love God, because of what he has done for us, redeeming us. And we want to proclaim it to a lost and dying world. So if you're here today and you don't know Christ Jesus as Lord, today may be the day of redemption for you. And I'd be happy to talk with you about that. I'd be happy to pray with you about that. I'd be happy to sit down and explain to you the gospel in further detail if you need me to. So if that's you, let me know. Let somebody that you know that's here, that's a Christian, know. If that's you online, go to homesavenue.com forward slash contact and reach out and let us know, I want to be redeemed. But Christian, know this. God's not done with you yet. You still have breath in your lungs. You still have life to live until God sees fit to take you home. So until that day comes, 
proclaim the redemption that's involved through Christ Jesus our Lord, that is given through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because in this day and age, we can't walk outside without knowing that there's people that need to hear it. There are many lost people around us every waking moment. Are you done playing around? Am I done playing around? I'm asking myself that too. There are many people that need to be redeemed. Proclaim it. Demonstrate it. Pray for every man, woman, and child in your circle of accountability that God lays on your heart and share the gospel. Let's take a few moments just to quietly reflect, just as we did at the beginning of the gathering. We, we come in here at the beginning and just we quietly reflect and we ask God to, to wipe away the distractions so that we can hear from him today. I pray that through all of that right there, you at least heard something and that God is speaking to you about something. So let's stop and ask him, Lord, what are you saying and what do you want me to do with it? And then we'll have the band come up when I start to pray. And we'll sing a closing song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Join me in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, I just want to start out by just saying thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the grace and mercy that you show to us. Thank you, Lord, for demonstrating that through your only begotten Son, Christ Jesus, our Lord, who went to Calvary's cross after being betrayed and lied about, going through just horrific trials that should not have even happened. And yet, just as a lamb before the shear keeps his mouth silent, Christ Jesus says nothing. And he willingly goes to the cross and takes on your wrath in our place, dying a death that we should have died, yet resurrecting to new life on the third day, thus providing redemption for our souls. Thank you, God, for providing that redemption. Thank you, Lord, for providing that because of the great love you have for us. And so, Father, I pray now, Lord, as we move into this time of crying out to you in our last song, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to move. Lord, if you are convicting hearts, convict hearts. Lord, if you are calling souls to move from death into life, move. Father God, if you are calling us to step out in obedience and to trust you, And we pray, God, that you would do that and that we would be obedient to it. Whatever we have you doing right now, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would have your way. Move in this place today, right now. We honor you, we bless you, and we thank you. In the strong name of Jesus that we do pray, amen.